chapter four part four of the life of washington volume four by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter four part four seventeen eighty nine letters from general washington respecting the chief magistracy of the new government in reply to this letter general washington said your observations on the solemnity of the crisis and its application to myself bring before me subjects of the most momentous and interesting nature in our endeavours to establish a new general government the contest nationally considered seems not to have been so much for glory as existence it was for a long time doubtful whether we were to survive as an independent republic or decline from our federal dignity into insignificant and wretched fragments of empire the adoption of the constitution so extensively and with so liberal an acquiescence on the part of the minorities in general promised the former but lately the circular letter of new york has manifested in my apprehension an unfavorable if not an insidious tendency to a contrary policy i still hope for the best but before you mentioned it i could not help fearing it would serve as a standard to which the disaffected might resort it is now evidently the part of all honest men who are friends to the new constitution to endeavor to give it a chance to disclose its merits and defects by carrying it fairly into effect in the first instance the principal topic of your letter is to me a point of great delicacy indeed insomuch that i can scarcely without some impropriety touch upon it in the first place the event to which you allude may never happen among other reasons because if the partiality of my fellow-citizens conceive it to be a mean by which the sinews of the new government would be strengthened it will of consequence be obnoxious to those who are in opposition to it many of whom unquestionably will be placed among the electors this consideration alone would supersede the expediency of announcing any definitive and irrevocable resolution you are among the small number of those who know my invincible attachment to domestic life and that my sincerest wish is to continue in the enjoyment of it solely until my final hour but the world would be neither so well instructed nor so candidly disposed as to believe me to be uninfluenced by sinister motives in case any circumstance should render a deviation from the line of conduct i had prescribed for myself indispensable should the contingency you suggest take place and for argument's sake alone let me say should my unfeigned reluctance to accept the office be overcome by a deference for the reasons and opinions of my friends might i not after the declarations i have made and heaven knows they were made in the sincerity of my heart in the judgment of the impartial world and of posterity be chargeable with levity and inconsistency if not with rashness and ambition nay farther would there not even be some apparent foundation for the two former charges now justice to myself and tranquillity of conscience require that i should act apart if not above imputation at least capable of vindication nor will you conceive me to be too solicitous for reputation though i prize as i ought the good opinion of my fellow-citizens yet if i know myself i would not seek or retain popularity at the expense of one social duty or moral virtue while doing what my conscience informed me was right as it respected my god my country and myself i could despise all the party clamour and unjust censure which must be expected from some whose personal enmity might be occasioned by their hostility to the government i am conscious that i fear alone to give any real occasion for obloquy and that i do not dread to meet with unmerited reproach and certain i am whensoever i shall be convinced the good of my country requires my reputation to be put in risk regard for my own fame will not come in competition with an object of so much magnitude if i declined the task it would be upon quite another principle 
notwithstanding my advanced season of life my increasing fondness for agricultural amusements and my growing love of retirement augment and confirm my decided predilection for the character of a private citizen yet it will be no one of these motives nor the hazard to which my former reputation might be exposed or the terror of encountering new fatigues and troubles that would deter me from an acceptance but a belief that some other person who had less pretence and less inclination to be excused could execute all the duties full as satisfactorily as myself to say more it would be indiscreet as a disclosure of a refusal beforehand might incur the application of the fable in which the fox is represented as undervaluing the grapes he could not reach you will perceive my dear sir by what is here observed and which you will be pleased to consider in the light of a confidential communication that my inclinations will dispose and decide me to remain as i am unless a clear and insurmountable conviction should be impressed on my mind that some very disagreeable consequences must in all human probability result from the indulgence of my wishes about the same time colonel hamilton concluded a letter on miscellaneous subjects with the following observations i take it for granted sir you have concluded to comply with what will no doubt be the general call of your country in relation to the new government you will permit me to say that it is indispensable you should lend yourself to its first operations it is to little purpose to have introduced a system if the weightiest influence is not given to its firm establishment in the outset on the delicate subject said general washington in reply with which you conclude your letter i can say nothing because the event alluded to may never happen and because in case it should occur it would be a point of prudence to defer forming one's ultimate and irrevocable decision so long as new data might be afforded for one to act with a greater wisdom and propriety i would not wish to conceal my prevailing sentiment from you for you know me well enough my good sir to be persuaded that i am not guilty of affectation when i tell you it is my great and sole desire to live and die in peace and retirement on my own farm were it even indispensable a different line of conduct should be adopted while you and some others who are acquainted with my heart would acquit the world and posterity might probably accuse me of inconsistency and ambition still i hope i shall always possess firmness and virtue enough to maintain what i consider the most enviable of all titles the character of an honest man this answer drew from colonel hamilton the following reply i should be deeply pained my dear sir if your scruples in regard to a certain station should be matured into a resolution to decline it though i am neither surprised at their existence nor can i but agree in opinion that the caution you observe in deferring the ultimate determination is prudent i have however reflected maturely on the subject and have come to a conclusion in which i feel no hesitation that every public and personal consideration will demand from you an acquiescence in what will certainly be the unanimous wish of your country the absolute retreat which you meditated at the close of the late war was natural and proper had the government produced by the revolution gone on in a tolerable train it would have been most advisable to have persisted in that retreat but i am clearly of opinion that the crisis which brought you again into public view left you no alternative but to comply and i am equally clear in the opinion that you are by that act pledged to take a part in the execution of the government i am not less convinced that the impression of the necessity of your filling the station in question is so universal that you run no risk of any uncandid imputation by submitting to it but even if this were not the case a regard to your own reputation as well as to the public good calls upon you in the strongest manner to run that risk it cannot be considered as a compliment to say that on your acceptance of the office of president the success of the new government in its commencement may materially depend 
your agency and influence will be not less important in preserving it from the future attacks of its enemies than they have been in recommending it in the first instance to the adoption of the people independent of all considerations drawn from this source the point of light in which you stand at home and abroad will make an infinite difference in the respectability with which the government will begin its operations in the alternative of your being or not being at the head of it i forbear to mention considerations which might have a more personal application what i have said will suffice for the inferences i mean to draw first in a matter so essential to the well-being of society as the prosperity of a newly instituted government a citizen of so much consequence as yourself to its success has no option but to lend his services if called for permit me to say it would be inglorious in such a situation not to hazard the glory however great which he might have previously acquired secondly your signature to the proposed system pledges your judgment for its being such an one as upon the whole was worthy of the public approbation if it should miscarry as men commonly decide from success or the want of it the blame will in all probability be laid on the system itself and the framers of it will have to encounter the disrepute of having brought about a revolution in government without substituting anything that was worthy of the effort they pull down one utopia it will be said to build up another this view of the subject if i mistake not my dear sir will suggest to your mind greater hazard to that fame which must be and ought to be dear to you in refusing your future aid to the system than in affording it i will only add that in my estimate of the matter that aid is indispensable i have taken the liberty to express these sentiments and to lay before you my view of the subject i doubt not the considerations mentioned have fully occurred to you and i trust they will finally produce in your mind the same result which exists in mine i flatter myself the frankness with which i have delivered myself will not be displeasing to you it has been prompted by motives which you would not disapprove in answer to this letter general washington hoped himself without reserve in acknowledging said he the receipt of your candid and kind letter by the last post little more is incumbent on me than to thank you sincerely for the frankness with which you communicated your sentiments and to assure you that the same manly tone of intercourse will always be more than barely welcome indeed it will be highly acceptable to me i am particularly glad in the present instance that you have dealt thus freely and like a friend although i could not help observing from several publications and letters that my name had been sometimes spoken of and that it was possible the contingency which is the subject of your letter might happen yet i thought it best to maintain a guarded silence and to lack the counsel of my best friends which i certainly hold in the highest estimation rather than to hazard an imputation unfriendly to the delicacy of my feelings for situated as i am i could hardly bring the question into the slightest discussion or ask an opinion even in the most confidential manner without betraying in my judgment some impropriety of conduct or without feeling an apprehension that a premature display of anxiety might be construed into a vainglorious desire of pushing myself into notice as a candidate now if i am not grossly deceived in myself i should unfeignedly rejoice in case the electors by giving their votes in favour of some other person would save me from the dreadful dilemma of being forced to accept or refuse if that may not be i am in the next place earnestly desirous of searching out the truth and of knowing whether there does not exist a probability that the government would be just as happily and effectually carried into execution without my aid as with it i am truly solicitous to obtain all the previous information which the circumstances will afford and to determine when the determination can with propriety be no longer postponed according to the principles of right reason and the dictates of a clear conscience without too great a reference to the unforeseen consequences which may affect my person or reputation 
until that period i may fairly hold myself open to conviction though i allow your sentiments to have weight in them and i shall not pass by your arguments without giving them as dispassionate a consideration as i can possibly bestow upon them in taking a survey of the subject in whatever point of light i have been able to place it i will not suppress the acknowledgment my dear sir that i have always felt a kind of gloom upon my mind as often as i have been taught to expect i might and perhaps must ere long call to make a decision you will i am well assured believe the assertion though i have little expectation it would gain credit from those who are less acquainted with me that if i should receive the appointment and should be prevailed upon to accept it the acceptance would be attended with more diffidence and reluctance than ever i experienced before in my life it would be however with a fixed and sole determination of lending whatever assistance might be in my power to promote the public weal in hopes that at a convenient and an early period my services might be dispensed with and that i might be permitted once more to retire to pass an unclouded evening after the stormy day of life in the bosom of domestic tranquillity this correspondence was thus closed by colonel hamilton i feel a conviction that you will finally see your acceptance to be indispensable it is no compliment to say that no other man can sufficiently unite the public opinion or can give the requisite weight to the office in the commencement of the government these considerations appear to me of themselves decisive i am not sure that your refusal would not throw everything into confusion i am sure that it would have the worst effect imaginable indeed as i hinted in a former letter i think circumstances leave no option although this correspondence does not appear to have absolutely decided general washington on the part he should embrace it could not have been without its influence on his judgment nor have failed to dispose him to yield to the wish of his country i would willingly said he to his estimable friend general lincoln who had also pressed the subject on him pass over in silence that part of your letter in which you mention the persons who are candidates for the two first offices in the executive if i did not fear the omission might seem to betray a want of confidence motives of delicacy have prevented me hitherto from conversing or writing on this subject whenever i could avoid it with decency i may however with great sincerity and i believe without offending against modesty or propriety say to you that i most heartily wish the choice to which you allude might not fall upon me and that if it should i must reserve to myself the right of making up my final decision at the last moment when it can be brought into one view and when the expediency or inexpediency of a refusal can be more judiciously determined than at present but be assured my dear sir if from any inducement i shall be persuaded ultimately to accept it will not be so far as i know my own heart from any of a private or personal nature every personal consideration conspires to rivet me if i may use the expression to retirement in my time of life and under my circumstances nothing in this world can ever draw me from it unless it be a conviction that the partiality of my countrymen had made my services absolutely necessary joined to a fear that my refusal might induce a belief that i preferred the conservation of my own reputation and private ease to the good of my country after all if i should conceive myself in a manner constrained to accept i call heaven to witness that this very act would be the greatest sacrifice of my personal feelings and wishes that ever i have been called upon to make it would be to forego repose and domestic enjoyment for trouble perhaps for public obloquy for i should consider myself as entering upon an unexplored field enveloped on every side with clouds and darkness from this embarrassing situation i had naturally supposed that my declarations at the close of the war would have saved me and that my sincere intentions then publicly made known 
would have effectually precluded me for ever afterwards from being looked upon as a candidate for any office this hope as a last anchor of worldly happiness in old age i had still carefully preserved until the public papers and private letters from my correspondence in almost every quarter taught me to apprehend that i might soon be obliged to answer the question whether i would go again into public life or not i can say little or nothing new said he in a letter to the marquis de lafayette in consequence of the repetition of your opinion on the expediency there will be for my accepting the office to which you refer your sentiments indeed coincide much more nearly with those of my other friends than, than with my own feelings in truth my difficulties increase and magnify as i draw towards the period when according to the common belief it will be necessary for me to give a definitive answer in one way or other should circumstances render it in a manner inevitably necessary to be in the affirmative be assured my dear sir i shall assume the task with the most unfeigned reluctance and with a real diffidence for which i shall probably receive no credit from the world if i know my own heart nothing short of a conviction of duty will induce me again to take an active part in public affairs and in that case if i can form a plan for my own conduct my endeavour shall be unremittingly exerted even at the hazard of former fame or present popularity to extricate my country from the embarrassments in which it is entangled through want of credit and to establish a general system of policy which if pursued will ensure permanent felicity to the commonwealth i think i see a path as clear and as direct as a ray of light which leads to the attainment of that object nothing but harmony honesty industry and frugality are necessary to make us a great and happy people happily the present posture of affairs and the prevailing disposition of my countrymen promise to cooperate in establishing those four great and essential pillars of public felicity the room in which the first constitutional convention met in philadelphia delegates from twelve of the thirteen states rhode island alone being unrepresented assembled at philadelphia where the opening sessions of the first constitutional convention were held in this room in independence hall may fourteenth seventeen eighty seven george washington presided during the four months taken to draft the constitution of the united states when it was completed on september seventeenth it is said that many of the delegates seemed awestruck and that washington himself sat with his head bowed in deep meditation as the convention adjourned franklin who was then over eighty-one years of age arose and pointing to the president's quaint armchair on the back of which was emblazoned a half sun brilliant with gilded rays observed as i have been sitting here all these weeks i have often wondered whether yonder sun is rising or setting but now i know that it is a rising sun he is unanimously elected president after the elections had taken place a general persuasion prevailed that the public will respecting the chief magistrate of that union had been too unequivocally manifested not to be certainly obeyed and several applications were made to general washington for those offices in the respective states which would be in the gift of the president of the united states as marking the frame of mind with which he came into the government the following extract is given from one of the many letters written to persons whose pretensions he was disposed to favour should it become absolutely necessary for me to occupy the station in which your letter presupposes me i have determined to go into it perfectly free from all engagements of every nature whatsoever a conduct in conformity to this resolution would enable me in balancing the various pretensions of different candidates for appointments to act with a sole reference to justice and the public good this is in substance the answer that i have given to all applications and they are not few which have already been made among the places sought after in these applications i must not conceal that the office to which you particularly allude is comprehended this fact i tell you merely as a matter of information my general manner of thinking as to the propriety of holding myself totally disengaged will apologize for my not enlarging farther on the subject
though i am sensible that the public suffrage which places a man in office should prevent him from being swayed in the execution of it by his private inclinations yet he may assuredly without violating his duty be indulged in the continuance of his former attachments meeting of the first congress the impotence of the late government added to the dilatoriness inseparable from its perplexed mode of proceeding on the public business and to its continued session had produced among the members of congress such an habitual disregard of punctuality in their attendance on that body that although the new government was to commence its operations on the fourth of march seventeen eighty nine a house of representatives was not formed until the first nor ascended until the sixth day of april at length the votes for the president and vice-president of the united states were opened and counted in the senate neither the animosity of parties nor the preponderance of the enemies of the new government in some of the states could deprive general washington of a single vote by the unanimous voice of an immense continent he was called to the chief magistracy of the nation the second number of votes was given to mr john adams george washington and john adams were therefore declared to be duly elected president and vice-president of the united states to serve for four years from the fourth of march seventeen eighty nine end of chapter four part four